0: Well, hello, buddy. I'm glad you came to church. My name is Nate, if I haven't met you, and we are starting a new series. We're calling it Radical Grace, and I don't know if there's another word that you could put next to grace to better describe it. So we're big fans of grace around here, and we'll talk a little bit about that. One of our phrases that we often use is, this is a church where it's okay not to be okay, all right? So if you're okay and you got it all together, you're probably going to get frustrated with the rest of us. (laughs) Because we realize that all of us are broken. All of us are in a process of finding healing, of understanding our new identity, of receiving forgiveness. So it's a place where it's okay not to be okay, and radical grace is behind much of that. So grace is a word that we don't use a lot, except when we're talking about religious or spiritual things. Um, and radical, you put that next to grace, what does that mean? Well, grace, I can't even give you like a brief one-sentence definition because grace is so expansive. It's, it's second chances. It's God's kindness. It's his love towards us. It's his forgiveness. All of these beautiful things, and it's radical. In fact, probably more than anything else, Jesus offended people. Okay, the, the common people of the day, especially the religious leaders, he offended them because he offered people radical grace. People that they thought were too far gone. People that the religious leaders thought had made too many mistakes, who were, had done everything wrong. Jesus presented them with options of relationship. He offered them love, acceptance, and forgiveness. And it was deeply, deeply offensive. And here's why. When we think about God, we think in a merit-based system. Okay, merit-based system. So it's actually pretty contentious in the United States right now. This whole thing of everything should be, let me hear it, it should be fair. Right? And we want things to be fair. And when you were three years old, you complained that things weren't, fair. I didn't get enough of this, or she got more, or he got more. And so from an early age, we talk about fairness. That's not fair. Um, it, why does this happen to me? And it, it's, it's a human problem. It's not just a North American problem, but we're trying to figure out how do we operate in fairness? Well, here's what's disturbing. What we're going to read from Matthew chapter 20 that grace isn't fair it's just not fair we base everything on a merit-based system right if you do this much work you should get this much in return if you are this religious if you give this much effort to God you should get more in return grace is a completely different economy okay so what Jesus has been doing in chapter 19 right before what we're gonna read He's been talking to his disciples about this thing that he calls the kingdom of heaven. All right. This is the last week of Jesus's life. He's moving towards Jerusalem, towards what will be his death and his resurrection. And he's trying to get into the minds of these groups, the people that just follow and are terribly interested, into the mind of his disciples, these 12 individuals who have left everything to follow him, and into the minds of this group called the Pharisees. and They're the religious experts of the day. He's trying to get into their mind that the way that grace operates, the way that the kingdom of heaven operates, is not merit based. Okay, so he tells these these three. Well he has these three experiences in chapter nineteen. One is parents wanting their kids to be near Jesus start bringing their kids, and here come the disciples, and they start shooing away the kids. And they say, "Hey, hey, Jesus doesn't have time for this. This guy's important." And Jesus stops and he says, "Whoa, whoa, whoa, whoa." Bring the kids here. He pauses. He says he spends time with the kids. And then he looks up at all the important people. Okay? He looks up at the Pharisees. He looks up at his disciples. And he says, the kingdom of heaven belongs to such as these. What? Well, the kingdom of heaven, doesn't it belong to those of us who keep the law and are very, very religious and that put forward so much effort, Jesus. No, the kingdom of heaven actually belongs to these who are trusting. These who didn't try to earn my respect, they just came up and wanted me to give them a hug. Then there's a, a rich guy, wealthy, an expert in the law. In the first century, if somebody had money and somebody had success, it meant that they were doing things right, that God had given them favor and God was blessing them. So this guy comes up and says, Okay, Jesus. What must I do to be saved? Jesus says, well, keep the commandments. And this guy legitimately says, listen, from my youth, I have kept the commandments. I have tried to be moral. I've tried to be obedient to God's laws. And Jesus says, okay, there's, there's one more thing. There's one thing you lack. I want you to go and sell everything you have. And he's very, very wealthy. Give it to the poor and then follow me. This is the man walks away very sad. And Jesus says this. He says, it's easier for a camel. Okay, think of a camel. Long legs, big hump. He says, it's it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a sewing needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of heaven. Okay, wait a minute. No, no. If anybody should get into heaven, it's this guy. Did you hear him? He's been moral his whole life. He's wealthy. God's blessed him. It's a merit-based system. He has everything. And the disciples are like, well, if he can't get into heaven, how can we get into heaven? Because God's blessed him. We don't have anything. And Jesus says, listen, well, man, this is impossible. With God, all things are possible. And then here comes Peter. This is where we really see this merit-based thinking. Um, in verse 27 of chapter 19, Peter says this. He says, we have left everything. Oop. that's not it. We have left everything to follow you. What will there then be for us? Peter says, listen, wh- okay, we've given everything. We walked away from our jobs. And if we've done that, in this merit-based system, what's going to be there for us? And so this is how Jesus introduces grace. Matthew 20. For the kingdom of heaven is like a landowner. This guy owns a vineyard. When the grapes are ripe, You need to bring them in because the sugar content is correct and they don't stay very long on the vine. So the kingdom of heaven is like a landowner who went out early in the morning to hire workers for his vineyard. Temporary help. He agreed to pay them a denarius for the day. So denarius would have actually been really good payment for somebody who was a laborer. A denarius was a Roman coin and that was the payment of a Roman soldier's, a foot soldier's daily wage. So if you enlisted in the Roman army, you were paid one denarius per day that you served. And this was different. This was generous. Like that, that isn't what farm workers are paid. So that he agreed to pay them a denarius for the day and sent them into his vineyard. About nine in the morning, he went out and saw others standing in the marketplace doing nothing. So people who needed work show up in the marketplace. Now he comes back three hours later. this is There's some more people that need to work. He told them, You also go and work in my vineyard, and I will pay you whatever. Notice this doesn't say denarius, whatever is right. Okay, you have to trust me on this. So they went. He went out again about noon and about three in the afternoon and did the same thing, hired more people about five in the afternoon. So Israel's closer to the equator. So your day was 6 a.m. to 6 p.m. And so now the last round of hirings, there's five rounds of hirings. The last one is at what time? 5 p.m., one hour before quitting time. He went out and found still others standing around at 5. He asked them, why have you been standing here all day long doing nothing? Listen to their passivity. Because no one has hired us. Some of you, like the baby boomers, are like, oh, this is a story about millennials. No. No, no. It's not. It's 2,000 years old, okay? No one has hired us. But they're just passive by their nature. They're like, we've just been standing here. He said to them, you also go and work in my vineyard. When evening came, the owner of the vineyard said to his foreman, so he says, I want, we're going to set this up. Okay, I, I I want people to understand something. Call all the workers and pay them their wages, beginning with the last, the people that worked from five p.m. to six p.m., and then the people that worked from three to six. The ones hired and going on to the first, the workers who were hired about five in the afternoon came and each received a denarius. Roman soldiers daily pay. So when they came to those who were hired first, they expected to receive more. But each one of them also received a denarius. And when they received it, they began to grumble against the landowner. These who were hired, last words, only one, it's not in there, but stinking hour, they said. And you have made them equal To us who have borne the burden of the work and the heat of the day. But he answered one of them, I'm not being unfair to you, friend. Didn't you agree to work for denarius? Take your pay and go. I want to give the one who was hired last the same as I gave you. Don't I have the right to do what I want with my own money? Or are you envious interesting question. Are you envious because I am generous? So, remember this is about the kingdom of heaven, so the last will be first and the first will be last. What is Jesus saying here about the grace and the kindness of God? It's radical. There's a story, it's a newspaper article. It's about Uh, LaGuardia, who was mayor of New York for three terms during the tail end of the depression and through World War II. Anybody ever landed at LaGuardia Airport in New York? Very busy airport. Was named after this mayor who was mayor in the 30s and the 40s. And Mayor LaGuardia was just a unique character. He was five foot two. He always wore a carnation in his lapel. They called him the little flower. And he was just involved in everything. Multiple times a month, he would go out with the fire crews. He would be a firefighter. He'd go out with the police crews. He had a background in law. And so, one of the things that he loved to do is he loved to sit in for judges who he felt were being overworked. So, they had this thing called night court, and it was for petty crimes and everybody who was prosecuting someone, suing somebody for something, and all those who were accused of crimes would show up and they'd be these very brief hearings. So Mayor LaGuardia shows up, dismisses the judge, says, I'll take your shift this evening. And up comes an elderly woman. And he says, what is this all about? The lawyer explains this woman stole two loaves of bread from the shopkeeper. The shopkeeper stands up and he says, Mayor, Our city is so poor. Theft is rampant. People steal from me all the time. This elderly woman stole two loaves of bread. It has to stop. People have to obey the law. I can't let this happen. Mayor LaGuardia says, is there any chance you'd dismiss the charges? He says, absolutely not. The shopkeeper is adamant that something has to be done. So the mayor looks at the woman. He says, ma'am, what do you have to say for yourself? She says, sir, I am so embarrassed, but my daughter is very sick. Her husband left, and now I have these two grandchildren, and I was unable to feed my grandchildren. And I stole both loaves of bread in order to feed my hungry grandchildren. Mayor LaGuardia sighs, and he says, ma'am, the law is the law. You have either a $10 fine or 10 days in jail. And she automatically breaks into tears because she has neither 10 days to give nor $10. Mary LaGuardia reaches into his pocketbook, takes out a $10 bill, hands it to the bailiff. And the shopkeeper is furious. If you pay... For her crimes, she doesn't learn a lesson. You encourage more criminal activity. Something has to be done. And after he speaks with all his venom, Mayor LaGuardia says, and I am not done. He takes the bailiff's hat and he looks at the courtroom packed with almost 100 people. And he says, everyone in the courtroom is fined 50 cents for living in a town where a grandmother has to steal food for her grandchildren. And the hat's passed and all of those who are accused of crimes, all of the lawyers, all have to give up 50 cents, including the shopkeeper. The hat's now filled with $47.50. Mary LaGuardia gives it to the old woman and says, don't steal any more bread. Here's the deal with grace. If you're the old woman, that's the most magnificent thing that's ever happened to you, right? Not only did you walk out of the room with $47.50 and the mayor paid your bill, but you are free. You could be in prison for the next 10 days. You could have had to find a way to produce $10. If you're the shopkeeper, it's infuriating. It's not fair. How can that Happen because we're a merit based society. People should get what they deserve. Jesus tells this story to expand our concepts of what God's love and grace is like and to describe how truly radical it is. There's a few things I want to say. Number one, point number one is this grace has no connection with achievement, ability, sacrifice. Grace is so radical. It has no connection with achievement, ability, and sacrifice. So imagine if you were listening to this story and you're one of the 6 a.m. people. You got up early. You worked 10 to 12 hours. And you know what the day would look like. You gathered grapes. And over here in your corner, it's now 6 p.m. You've worked all day, and you have a pile of grapes. You've filled up bushels worth of grapes. You've done a good job. You have achieved. You've been diligent. You've been productive. And then descending down the line are these smaller and smaller and smaller baskets of grapes until there's the one guy who showed up at 5 p.m. and it probably took him 10 minutes to get there and he has his little basket of grapes. What's your automatic assumption? I have done more, I deserve more. And then you're watching the payment and you are elated because the one hour work guy just got paid a denarius, which was what you were going to get paid. So what's your assumption? (laughs) Look at my pile of grapes. This is merit-based. If that little thing of grapes is worth a day's wages, Imagine what mine is. It should be worth 12 times as much. I worked 12 times as long. I was 12 times more productive. And then Jesus bothers everybody by saying, and the landowner paid him the same. That's not fair. But you see, grace has no connection to achievement, to productivity, to merit it's a completely different economy which can be baffling here's here's why grace is different did you notice all five rounds of hiring who initiated the hiring it's always the landowner nobody came knocking on his door saying hey i i, I hear your grapes are ready i've come, i've come to work every time it's the landowner who has to go out and find laborers that's the truth about grace It is always God who initiates. I never achieved grace because of what I've done or what I've accomplished. I was lost, everybody in this room, wherever you're at in your own spiritual journey, maybe you're spiritually unresolved, you're asking questions, maybe you've been walking with him for decades. Listen, God is the one who found you. God, God doesn't have like this cosmic chart up in heaven and he's looking, he's like, look at all these gold stars. Holy smokes, I better talk to that person. They are good. Not impressed by that. The Bible says, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. There's no one who makes it, who who makes the cut. It doesn't matter how big your pile of achievements and grapes and whatever it is, how moral you've been. it's, It's not even close to enough. On Friday, I was dropping off my son at middle school. And he's my last one that I need to drop off at school. So for, I don't know, almost 20 years, we always, we memorize a verse on the way to school. And we memorize this verse together, Ephesians 2.8. For it is by grace you have been saved. It is not by works. It's not by achievement. It's not by morality. It's not by the sweat of your brow. It is by this radical thing called grace that you have experienced forgiveness, that you've been saved from your own destruction, and that's through faith. And this faith, that's not even from yourselves. You couldn't even produce the faith. Even the faith is the gift of God and not by works, so that no one can boast. The radical grace of God is not merit-based and that is really hard for us to understand it has nothing to do with my achievements or how hard i've worked because in my mind i think do more try harder get more but the point of this story is no 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 this is a completely different economy i find that i'm so much like the older son in the parable of the prodigal son there's two sons One is the Mr. Responsible. He's the 6 a.m. He's got a pile of grapes. He's done everything right. And the other son, man, he showed up for work at 5 p.m. Said, Dad, I want my inheritance. He goes and squanders it. And he finally comes home in rags and filth. And what does the dad do? The dad embraces him, puts the ring back on the finger, says, you are welcome. Join the family. We're going to have a celebration. And the older son, who's been there since 6 in the morning, Says, you gotta be kidding me. I'm not going in for that party. That's my brother. He doesn't deserve it. That's exactly what the crowds that were listening to Jesus were experiencing. They don't deserve we deserve it. Listen, you know what I deserve? I deserve death. I deserve separation from God. Salvation was a complete gift. It is not based on me and what I earn and what I do. It's not based on merit. Point number two, grace can make people mad, and I mean really, really mad. You get offended by grace. We'll ask the question, how can God love people who are less righteous than we are? I want you to imagine for a second diminishing quality of the workers involved in the story. So the people that showed up for work at 6 a.m., they're like the achievers, right? They showed up for work. They are shaven. their, Their robes are perfectly pressed. And they've got impeccable resumes. I can pick grapes with the best of them. And I am eager. And I'm here when the sun's up. And I'm ready to work. Now, as you go down through time, through the five hiring rounds, your quality of workers probably diminished a little bit. Because you got the 9 a.m. people, and they showed up, they're like, hey, I just had to sleep in a little bit, had to read the paper. And then you've got people that's showing up at noon for work, and down to the people that showed up at 5 p.m. when the day's over at 6. Okay, the 5 p.m.ers, their resume, written in crayon. <laughs> Me pick grapes right? Uh-huh. I mean, hair's a mess. I know exactly where this person was at. This person lives in their grandmother's basement because their parents kicked them out. But grandma's the nicest woman in the world. And you know why they showed up for work at five? Cause they played video games till 4am, went to bed, slept, woke up and ate a late lunch. And then they're sitting there like, Oh no, grandma's going to ask me if I look for a job. I better go look for a job. It's 5 p.m. perfect. Nobody will hire me. And so they show up at the marketplace. There's an hour left of work. And here comes this guy and says, Hey, you want to work? And the guy's like, no, not really. That's why I'm here now. <laughs> There's my resume, me pick grapes. <laughs> and what what does the landowner do? Oh, perfect. You're just what I'm looking for. I'm like, seriously. Nobody's ever looked for me. Like, okay. So he follows, he follows him. They get there. Man, he picks grapes, tiny little pile. It's payment time. He just pay first. The guy gives him a denarius, the same as if he was a Roman soldier, for one hour of work. He thinks, these guys are lunatics. They have no idea how to handle money. So he puts it in his pocket. He's like, thanks. See you tomorrow, 5 p.m. This is great. (laughs) Right? He just walks away. like, I got to get out of here before they realize that I am not worth what they just paid. But as the line goes forward, the landowner set it up. He wanted the 6AMers to see what happens. So the 6AMers are looking at their pile like, (laughs) I've done so well. And it's the same coin. Grace can make people mad. This is God's generosity. I can't even comprehend it. And I always assume that the things that I've produced are what brings and initiates God's love for me. But whatever I've produced in my life has nothing to do with God's love for me. The two are not associated in any way. Point number three, God has the right to give what he wants to whom he wants. <laughs> it's his prerogative. God's not being unfair in the story. In fact, the landowner says, What, you think I'm being unfair? I gave you more than you deserved. And I gave that guy, Mr. Cran, resume. I gave him more than he deserved as well. It's not that it's unfair. Everything's a gift. It is just a gift you didn't even you don't you don't have a vineyard anything that you experience is just because of my graciousness to you see the sin of the employee who worked all day is that he sought to control the master's grace and he believed that life was merit based and that God's love should be merit based but in this parable it's the good the bad the broken the got it together's the christian the pagan None of them can save themselves. Every one of them needs the landowner to offer something that they don't deserve. That is radical grace. Lastly, point number four. It's just the question that the landowner asks. Are you envious because I'm generous? You wanted more generosity for you than you wanted... For those people, right? So strange question. You envious? Because I'm generous. You you want to be envious too, or you want more of my generosity? What's that all about? Here's what I've noticed. Just be very forward with you. If you're not careful, I've, I've been following Jesus for decades now, and here's what happens. Okay, this is what was happening to the religious people. This is why Jesus had to tell the story. Is When you were the one who was broken, when you were the one who showed up late to the party, when you were the one with the little tiny achievements, your view of who God loved was about this big. But the longer you live, the more diligent you are, the harder you try. The circle that you believe God loves and is worthy of his love becomes smaller and smaller until it's a group of people that look just like you. And Jesus wants to destroy their circles of who they believe God accepts and loves. And he wants to say, it's bigger than you could imagine. That his love is radical, it's baffling, it's scandalous. Grace is scandalous. And he's saying this, God loves all sorts of people that you don't even like. You can't even like them. And he loves them. If there's one takeaway, if there's one thing I'd love for you to remember out of this parable, it's this. It is never our job to control grace. Our job is to preach it. It's never my job to decide who's worthy, who's worked hard enough, who's been good enough, who's moral enough. I want to. I want to create borders. I want to create levels of worth. I want to make a merit-based system. But my job is to preach it, to proclaim it, to experience it, to give it away. That God accepted me, a broken down, sinful human being. I couldn't even find him. My religious goodness didn't even create a blip on the radar. So my job isn't to control grace. My job is to give grace, to experience it. There's two ways that people experience grace. The, the people that work the 10, 12 hours, what's their experience? They grumble, stinking landowner. <clears throat> what does the guy that showed up at 5 p.m. do? Huh you serious? Awesome. Buy some more video games with this. Right? Listen, there are two ways that you and I can respond to grace. We either grumble because we think that we deserve more and other people deserve less, or you just drop your jaw in awe in unbelief that God could love. He could love me. Imperfect, broken, confused. And could we wake up every day, the story's telling us, could you wake up every day and say, I don't deserve it. But you have loved me. You died for me, Jesus. You set things right. You resurrected. You're living your life through me. And it's all a gift. And I've done nothing to achieve it. And it has nothing to do with what I've accumulated religiously. It's just your kindness, your radical radical grace. Just want to leave you with two thoughts. Number one, if if you're the 6 a.m. worker, even a 9 a.m. worker, maybe even noon, you you know what? You've been doing pretty good. You're not in jail, right? It's quite the accomplishment. Can you just experience the radical nature of grace and just drop your jaw? And say, "I can't believe that he would love me. I can't believe that he would give the gift. It's not a denarius, but it's the gift of forgiveness and a new start, and acceptance, and healing. I can't believe that he gave that to me. And then there's another group. You know it. You're the 5 p.m. person, right? You've been playing video games in your grandmother's basement, and you just woke up, and you've had all kinds of mistakes in your life, missteps in your life, and you have secrets, And you've made tragic errors, and here's what you think. He could never love me. I'm too far gone. I'm too broken. I've been too lazy. I've been too passive. And you're just standing in the marketplace, and you've done it. You thought, nobody will ever choose me. Here's the point of the parable for you. Jesus walks up to you, and there's only an hour left. <laughs> you've squandered the day. You've squandered your life. And he says, you want to come work for me? And you say, "I look at, my, look at my resume. Like, you don't want me. And he says, I choose you for my vineyard. I want you, no matter what you feel about yourself, no matter the regrets that you have, you are never too far gone. That's Jesus' scandalous grace. You've never made too many mistakes. He says, you come and I've got a gift for you. It's the same gift I'd give to the finest and best out there. Because my love for you, he says, is not merit-based. My love for you is a gift. It's radical grace. It's beyond your comprehension. And you've done nothing to achieve it. It is because I am loving and I am kind and I am compassionate. And I love people that you can't even like at this point in your life. So if that's you. Follow him. He knows all about it. You have no secrets when it comes to God. And he still says, follow me. Will you pray with me? So often we reduce the story of Jesus down into an economy that we can easily understand, merit-based. And so we think it's those of us who do more and try harder and modify our behavior and make sure we don't fail tragically. Those are the ones that God loves. And this story introduces us to the idea of radical grace that it's a completely different economy than any of us, any of us in the room. We are here and it is grace that saves us and this is a gift. It's not based upon us and no one, not a single person in the room can boast. We are all recipients of something that we could never earn. The love and kindness and forgiveness and compassion So, would we drop our jaws in awe that we've been given this gift that we never deserved? Jesus went to the cross. He lives now today. And we've done nothing to earn that. Help us never to be misers of grace, to try to control grace. Instead, help us to preach it, to live it, to give it, and to experience radical grace. And then finally, for any of us, and we identify more with the five o'clock person than the 6 a.m. person, and we feel like, well, there's too far gone. We feel so unworthy. Lord, I pray that this story that Jesus told would convince any of us who are living in a secretive life, who have struggled with addiction, who have squandered away precious time, that it is not too late, that his grace is so scandalous that he offers that person the same person, the same thing as the most religiously oriented individual in the room. Forgiveness and love. If that's you and you know, this is the day, this is the day I need radical grace. I understand it's not based on me. I just surrender. I receive the gift. If this is the morning where you need to receive the gift of Jesus' love and forgiveness and begin to follow him, would you boldly just raise your hand and wave at me? I want to make eye contact. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Yes, ma'am. Yes, sir. Your sons and daughters right here. Yeah. Yeah, you're his. Yes. Both of you back there. You're his. You're forgiven. In the middle here, if that's you. Yes, man. Right there. I see your hand. Yeah. Beautiful. Anybody else? Right here. Yeah. You're his daughter. You are know. Yes, sir. If you're in the balcony and that's you, wave at me. Yeah. Okay, both of you right there in the middle. Over here as well. Yeah. I see your hand. Yep. You're his. Right there. He loves you. He forgives you. Yeah, beautiful. Beautiful. And down here. Yes, sir. Yeah, you're his. Hey, everybody, would you, would you just applaud? There are a whole bunch of people that just made a really, really big step. Oh. I love that, love that. Hey, if you did raise your hand, beginning of a new day, your sons and daughters of God, head to one of these I Have Decided banners. There's one in the balcony as well. I want to get a Bible in your hands and help you get started. Everybody else, be the hands and feet and mouthpiece of Jesus. Experience radical grace and give it away. If you need prayer for anything, there's people up front you can trust. God bless you.